Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship Him. Good morning, all. Oh, I'm slightly ringing. <laughs> that, that's better, I think. Yes, good. Uh, lovely to see you all. Uh, warm welcome to our morning worship. A particular welcome if you're joining us uh, from elsewhere uh, via our Zoom link today. Uh, it's good to have you with us as well. Our call to worship comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Uh, we're going to sing together. Uh, if you're able, please stand as we sing 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship your Oh, 
sit down friends let us pray that is the whole tenor of our life Lord that's what we want it to be Uh, the whole context of our life to be uh, held within that beautiful orbit of praise and worship to you celebrating your faithfulness because you surely are faithful And we only have to stop and think about our own lives for a little while. And whether we've known you a long time or a little while, we can see that you have been faithful to the promises you've made to us. You've always been good to us. Not always easy to see, because the circumstance of life sometimes gets in the way and distracts us from the reality of our life with you. But the truth of it all is that we sit in the palm of your hand and you delight in us. And whenever we come to you in this way, you are thrilled and delighted and enjoy being with us in this way. So we're glad to do it, glad to come into your presence, glad to offer you worship glad to catch a glimpse of the glory and majesty and might of our God. We recognize, Lord, that we're not all that we should be. We have failed to live up to your standard and indeed our own modest expectation very often. We're sorry for the things that we've said or thought or done wrong. We're sorry for the times that we missed an opportunity to say something for you, to do some act of kindness that would speak about your love for others. We want to be more alive and more alert to the opportunities that you bring our way. So help us, Father, to be attentive to you, to your word and to the prompting of your spirit. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm going to do the reading this morning. Uh, and I, the reason I'm doing the reading is because I didn't think it was fair to ask one or more of you <laughs> to come and read Genesis 43, chapters 43 and 44. So uh, don't worry, you'll be home by three o'clock this afternoon, I promise. Yeah. So we start then uh, with uh, 43, verse 1. You'll recall uh, that Joseph's brothers have been to Egypt. They've collected some food, they've come back. And now uh, we pick the story up. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. 
But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? And then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you here, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house. Slaughter an animal and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we've brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, 
Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that's detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this that you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who is found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father. And there is a young son born to him in his old age. 
His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, the father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, Go back and buy a little more food. But we said, We cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. And that's where we stop. <laughs> Gosh. So, um, I love stories. I think you know that, don't you? I think that stories are great. They teach us all sorts of things. Uh, and they do it not in a, a very obvious and... Uh, ploddy sort of way, but they do it in a dynamic and and subtle way. And I suppose that's why Jesus uses them as much as he does. And in fact, when you you read the Gospels, it is extremely rare to find Jesus giving a sermon. You'll find Jesus declaring things, and you'll find Jesus telling stories, parables. Um, I think stories are really, really interesting to think about and to reflect on. And I love this story of Joseph, and I was saying to folk in the church last week, it it is an interesting story because God is not obvious and not apparent. Uh, And I think that's how most of us experience God today. There's mystery here, uh, which is not easy to explain. And uh, I suppose I ought to confess something to you children um, it's something that you already know, but it needs to be said sometimes. Um, grown-ups, grown-ups are a bit weird. You sort of know that. <clears throat> and, and grown-ups don't really understand children, which is odd, really, because we were children once. You know, we used to be you. Uh, and there's all sorts of things that have happened in the interim which have helped us forget what it was like. Uh, and we, you know, we, we treat you like children. <laughs> um, we sort of forget that 
you can see things that we can't. And you actually do understand stuff better than we realise sometimes. Uh, and so I think it's right that we... Ministers as well, oh, my word. Ministers are terrible for this, you know. We sort of think, especially ministers like me, of my vintage and generation, and ministers were, that went to the college that I went to and were trained in the way that I was trained... We sort of think we've got to explain everything and we've got to give you the answers to everything. Uh, and uh, we spend hours and hours sometimes worrying about whether or not we've explained something properly and worrying about whether or not you, all of you, and you know that's children and grown-ups, are actually getting what we're saying. And I think some of the time, all that God wants from us is that we tell the story and let it speak for itself. I love the Joseph story because it is what it is. An amazing story. And it's a bit like EastEnders. You know, you watch any soap opera and it's all about, you know, families and relationship and the way things go wrong and what happens when they all go horribly wrong and how is that stuff resolved and what happens next? And that's this story. It's all this story. If you get a chance to go and read it for yourself, you should. Um, and in fact, all of the book of Genesis, from, from chapter 12 onwards, is all about four generations of one family, um, the family of the promise. And in each generation, God puts his hand on somebody, and they are the key character the key personality for carrying the promise into the next generation and then beyond. Um, the other thing that I really love about the Joseph story, Joseph's 17 when God speaks to him through a dream. 17. I was 17 when I realised the truth about God and Jesus and what I had to do to become a Christian, to be free from the sin that beset me, uh, to have a new life, to start again. 17, it's a great age. It's a wonderful age. Of course, the difficulty is you know everything when you're 17, and you're not always careful about how you share your information. And Joseph's not careful. He just speaks it out. He blurts it out. I had this dream. You know, we were in the fields harvesting. My sheaves stood up and all your sheaves came and bowed down around it. It was amazing. How to win friends and influence people. Not. But it's because he's young. So there's, you know, the, he's young and, and he, he becomes the key figure in the story. He's not young now when we get to this stage. More than 20 years has passed. So he's not young at this stage. And the other thing about, you know, this family, the four generations, is Abram, he's, whatever is he, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, Abram, so that's his dad, grand, great-grandfather. His great-grandfather is called by God uh, and not given a lot of information. God says to Abram, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. But he doesn't tell him where he is. 
until Abram says, okay. And Abram, at this stage, is in his 90s. This book, Genesis, is a really, really fascinating book. An amazing book to read in the Bible. And I love it for all sorts of things. Mainly because it's good stories, but also because it tells us it doesn't matter whether you are young or old. God can call you. God can choose you. God can use you. Got that? See, I'm checking again. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for all that your word teaches us. And especially this book of Genesis. And particularly the stories around Joseph. Help us to be aware that there's mystery around you. Sometimes you speak plainly and sometimes you don't. And what you are expecting of us is quite simply that we will be faithful to whatever it is that you've shown us, to whatever call you may have on our lives. Help us to be what we should be under your hand. Amen. We will sing together once again, uh, Lord, for the years. If you're able, please stand. And at the end of this, I will receive the offering.
pray together. Father God, once again we come to say thank you in this most practical of ways. Please take all that we have and all that we are and use even us to further your kingdom. Amen. Now, if you're involved with Junior Church, it's time for you to take your leave. The Lord be with you. Amen. So we'll come to God in prayer. Let us pray. As always, Father, our, our first thought is one of thankfulness that we can come in this way and bring our prayers of intercession to you. Because the world is a perplexing place. It's, it's hard to see sometimes what is happening and how events in the world might be resolved. We sometimes are overwhelmed by the magnitude of some of the things that we see reported in the news. And sometimes we can be fearful because of what is being reported. And we are fearful of of what we are told around the events uh, in Ukraine, on the borders of Ukraine with the Russian military um, exercising with their allies, Belarus. They keep saying, we don't intend to go into Ukraine. We hope that's true, Lord. But there's an awful lot of soldiers around the borders of Ukraine. And we know they've done it before. So there is real concern around this, not surprisingly. And we wonder what might happen. We're thankful, Father, that there are conversations still going on, although we can't know exactly what they are or what is being said. We know that the, all of the effort is to try and prevent bloodshed, and we pray that that might be the case. We're really praying, Father, for a diplomatic solution, I guess. We think about all those that serve in our armed forces. Because whatever happens between politicians, if it goes wrong and soldiers, sailors and airmen are required... It, will be, it won't be politicians who are being shot at. It will be young men and women who are being asked by their country to stand up. And many will. We think about our own armed forces and give you thanks, Father, that there are still young men and women who are willing to serve in this way, who are willing to sacrifice and sometimes sacrifice everything. We recall Liam Godfrey, 
with warmth and thanksgiving and pray for him as he is now a proper soldier. We pray for him and for his mates in the Rifles Regiment. Ask, Lord, that you would draw near to him and maybe from time to time he'll remember us and think about us. When he does, we pray that that will be with warmth and appreciation. We pray that you'll keep him out of harm's way and that you will help him to grow and develop into a fine young man. We've been concerned, Lord, to hear about things that are not quite right in the Metropolitan Police Force. There have been all sorts of things over recent weeks and months. Uh, and more recently, you know, with some police officers serving in a part of London. We hope, Lord, that that is not typical of all of the police in London. We don't believe it is. And we surely hope and pray that it's not indicative of police all over the country. It can't be so. We know police officers that would be upset to hear of what was going on in that little team down in Charing Cross. We pray for all those that carry responsibility for setting the tone um, across the police forces of our country and particularly in the Metropolitan Police. Such an important force, large force, uh, dedicated to serving the people of Greater London. We pray that that's what everyone in uniform recalls. They are there to serve. We thank you for all those that are wholeheartedly doing that. We pray that you will strengthen them and encourage them and that they will know that they are appreciated and maybe will have a chance to say something positive and helpful and encouraging uh, to a policeman or a policewoman uh, should we bump into one in the next few days. Father God, we we ask that you would have your way in all of the institutions of our society. We pray for one another. We think about our friends. We pray for those who are unwell in body, mind. Pray for those who might be in hospital. For those who may be facing really significant illness. We pray for those who are bereaved. As their faces come to mind, Lord, we pray that you will draw near to them. We pray that your compassion and your love will surround them. We pray that your peace will rest upon them. 
that they might know they are not alone. You are with them. Emmanuel. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing together once again, give thanks to the Lord forever. If you're able, please stand.
Amen. Do sit down. So, Genesis 39 to 41 uh, is a wide canvas. It's about Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. Uh, It's all about uh, how he comes to be in a position of power. It starts narrow. The story of Joseph starts narrow, focus on the family, and then broadens out to span an empire. And then in chapters 42 to 44, two-thirds of which we, we had read to us earlier, the focus narrows once again to the family. And the context we remember, friends, is God's choice of Joseph as the agent of deliverance for his family. Joseph, the first son of the favoured wife, Rachel. You'll remember that Jacob, his father, had 12 sons by four women. The woman that he loved and he wanted to marry, the only woman he wanted, was Rachel. But Uncle Laban uh, was tricky, wasn't he? Uh, And he gave uh, Rachel's sister, Leah, to him first. And said, if you want Rachel, if you want the younger one, you've got to work another seven years for me. Uh, And so he did that. And he ends up with Leah and Rachel and their maidservants. And Rachel can't have children. And Leah can. So Rachel offers one of her slave girls, or her maidservant rather, and says, have children with her. Which Jacob does. And Leah, not wanting to be left behind, gives her maidservant to Jacob. Have children with her. And he does. Gosh, it was a hard life, wasn't it? But he has four women. He has 12 children by four women. But the the two that he really, really loves are the two that Rachel had. Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph the dreamer. Joseph the interpreter of dreams. Joseph, now the ruler. And the unseen God is working his purpose out in the background. So we remind ourselves of the players in this drama, the drama that we've seen unfolding in these two chapters that we had read earlier. Joseph, who now has all the power and all the knowledge, and is, he's definitely not above manipulating events to shape the outcomes that he wants. He's been doing that Uh, ever since the brothers first arrived. Uh, Jacob, the father, who continues to mourn the loss of a favourite son and who really significantly resists losing another. And then the brothers, who made a bad choice at the beginning and compounded it with a lie. And although the story is set against this massive backdrop of international affairs and the empire, and a famine that affects different countries. The heart of the narrative really concerns this family. It concerns this family coming to terms with each other, coming to terms with the past, and coming to terms with this dream that Joseph articulated before them all. It's about a struggle for survival, and it's about a struggle for faith. Uh, And there are two questions that are being asked. Is there a future? And what does it look like? The brothers are stuck because of what they did to Joseph. They can't see beyond that one act of deliberate malice right at the beginning of the story. 
They've got no room in which to act. They've got no energy for imagination. They, they can see no possibility of freedom. They are bound by the power of an unforgiven past. They're immobilized by guilt and they're driven by anxiety. Uh, they actually do try to act effectively, and we see this, you know, with Judah going to Joseph and saying, please, sir, uh, let Benjamin go home. I will stay. Because if he doesn't go home, our father's going to die. Um, they're stuck with their guilt. They want to act effectively, but they can't. Um, this guilt just closes them in. They're stuck with their past. They're not free enough to have faith. Remember what we said earlier. Um, this family, down through the generations, is the family of promise. And in each generation, God has put his hand on someone in that generation to be the focus of that promise. They can't see it in this generation. Not yet. They are not free enough to have faith. So consequently, they are excessively focused on the safety and well-being of their father because he is the last known character of promise that they are aware of. They mustn't add to his grief. They mustn't make life more difficult for him. They mustn't bring harm to him. They can't accept or believe the dream that Joseph offered to them all those years ago. Their father must be preserved as the last promise bearer from God. For them, there is no future. They can't see themselves as part of that Abrahamic covenant. But as we all know, because we're outside observers and we've been keenly following the story, uh, the dream is progressing. And now they are part of it. Uh, unknowingly, uh, they are part of it. Uh, chapter 43 and verse 26. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. I had a dream, brothers. We were in the field harvesting. My sheaf stood up in the middle. Your sheaves all came and bowed down before me. Are you going to rule and reign over us, you wretch? We're going to get rid of you. And what is happening? The dream is true. The dream is bearing fruit. It is a reality. So the brothers, what about the father, Jacob, Israel? Uh, he's the one that initiates the trips to Egypt in chapter 42 and chapter 43, verses 1 and 2 respectively. Um, you know, chapter 42, why are you sitting there looking at one another? There's food to be had in Egypt. On your way, go and get some. And at this stage, his life is shaped by the lie that his sons told him concerning Joseph. Oh, look, is this your son's coat? Yes. Look at the blood on it. Yes. We think he might have been killed by wild animals. Yes. It's terrible, isn't it? It is like EastEnders. This stuff, it is. Um, at this stage, his life is shaped by that lie. His sons you know, have told him about Joseph. He's dead. His grief is real and it's terrible. He has lost the first son of his beloved 
Rachel, and he will not lose the other. He will not lose Benjamin. It's only when the food runs out that Jacob contemplates allowing Benjamin to travel. Uh, And you, you sort of see some resignation in the conversation between the brothers and their father. If you must, you must. Take gifts, take money. All right, take your brother. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. And then he says, May El Shaddai, God Almighty, grant you mercy before the man. That, that name for God actually is really important. And you don't pick it up in the English version. May El Shaddai grant you mercy before the man. El Shaddai is the name that Jacob knows God by. I, do you know, in this story, I often wonder what is in the head of Jacob. When, especially when Joseph says... I had a dream, because that's how God communicated with Jacob. Looking back over his life, he remembers his dealings with God and the covenant promise that he made back in chapter 28. You remember that he he puts his head down. He's conned his older brother out of his inheritance, and he's having to run away because he fears he's going to be killed. Uh, and whilst he's running away, at one night, he lays down, puts his head on a, a rock, uh, and he has a dream, and he dreams, doesn't he, that he sees a, a ladder or a stairway going up and down to heaven. Cue Led Zeppelin at this point. Yeah, that's an old reference, isn't it? That's a reference for people in their 60s now. So if you're under 60, ask your granddad, all right? Uh, but he sees this stairway, doesn't he, going up and down to heaven, and there are angels ascending and descending. And when he wakes up in the morning, he says, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, on this journey I'm taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob is remembering God. Jacob is remembering a dream that he had. And El Shaddai, and the way that El Shaddai looked after him and watched over him and did what he said he would do. He recalls the covenant. He recalls the promises. He recalls the faithfulness of God. And Jacob dares to believe in a new possibility that permits newness and hope. Only mercy can break the cycle of hopelessness. By invoking the name El Shaddai, Jacob admits the possibility of faith. And on the basis of that faith, he will risk his son, Benjamin. Joseph, now the man of power. As the story progresses, Joseph grows into his new persona, doesn't he? Uh, He's now a powerful leader. He's unafraid to use all the levers at his disposal when it comes to his family. And Joseph's desires are clearly outlined in the narrative. He wants his brother, Benjamin, and he wants his father, too. And there's a tug of war, actually, between Joseph and Jacob, between the, you know, the, uh, the older brother, um, 
Benjamin's older brother and his father for Benjamin, which Joseph will win. Joseph can't fail to win this because he knows everything now. He has the knowledge, he has the authority, he has the power. He can't fail to win. So the brothers are stuck with their guilt and uh, can't do anything. Jacob is stuck with his grief, but sort of sees the possibility of faith. And Joseph has nearly everything that he longs for. And Benjamin? Well, he's an innocent bystander in all of this. It's interesting that they keep referring to him as the boy. Because he must be in his 30s by now, I'd have thought, given that more than 20 years has passed between the dream being given and everything that's happened to Joseph. Benjamin will not be returned. The brothers are terrified. The father must wait at a distance. Fear dominates the scene. This is family life. EastEnders style. How will all this be resolved? Well, you'll have to come back next week. The hidden hand of God continues to work in the warp and weft of the story. And I promise, friends, next week we will see the end of it. Let me pray for you. We think about our own lives, Lord. What are you doing? Can we see your hand in the circumstance of our own living? Are we in a place where the blessing of God is clear? Or are we in a place where you seem to be hidden? If it's the former, we pray that we might be thankful. If it's the latter, we ask that you might be helping us to be faithful to the promise that you've made to us. And that promise is Emmanuel, God with us, always and forever. Draw near to us, Lord, and bless us, we pray. Amen. And so we come to our closing song. If you're able, please stand as we sing by faith.
may the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.